Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, we're here. I'll show you. Dude, this is a national ballpark museum. They've got displays about all the great old ballparks, not old ball players. And I do mean old. Hey, that's not what I heard. I heard they got a display that features the first homegrown color Rocky. That would be me. Okay, look, there's Bruce Hellerstein over there. He owns the place. Let's go ask him. Hey, that's fine with me. Hi, Bruce. How's it going? Manny, Mark, good to see you guys. Come on in. Hey, Bruce, Manny here doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe you've got a Mark Knudsen display here at your museum. Well, he's sort of right. Right over here, we've got a display all about the Denver Zephyrs. I'm pretty sure Mark's Zephyrs baseball card is in there somewhere. Oh, his minor league card. I got you. Hey, it's something, right? If you say so. So, you two just come down here to see the displays? Actually, we're getting ready to do our podcast. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea they let you back on the air, Mark. What's your show called? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Give me a Knudsen. Knudsen! Thank you. The National League West has not been kind, again, to the Colorado Rockies. Against everyone not in their division, they're just a few games south of 500. Against their division foes, the Rockies are 11 games underwater and have only played the Giants and Dodgers a total of five times so far. With no real chance to escape the NL West, how are the Rockies going to deal with the free-spending California teams and the upstart Diamondbacks, who appear to be doing exactly what the Rockies want to do, only a lot better? This week we get to visit with veteran baseball writer Barry Bloom, who's been watching the NL West for more than three decades. Barry gives us a lowdown on how the resurgent D-backs are doing it and what the Rockies need to do to catch up. All that and much more is up next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. We're back with Bruce Hellerstein, the owner of the National Ballpark Museum across from Coors Field. Bruce, a lot of baseball fans probably haven't been there. Tell them what they're missing. Well, Mark, uh, we're the only museum that is totally dedicated to the old classic ballparks, as well as the history of uh, baseball here in Denver and Colorado. We pride ourselves on being the home of those activities so people can uh, appreciate them and with respect to the old ballparks, uh, I look at it, not only are they classic and built in location, they are American treasures. How can one think of America without mentioning the Fenways and the Wrigley's, for example? Tell them what they got to do to come see you. Well, we're open regular hours from 11 to 5 daily, with the exception of Sunday. And when we have Rocky home games, we will expand those hours as uh, needed. You got to come see it, Bruce. It's a wonderful place. The National Ballpark Museum on Blake Street, just across from Coors Field. Bruce, thanks. My pleasure, Mark. Hello, Maybe Mark. I haven't done the calculations recently, but um, last time I checked, uh, I think it was after the Kansas City Series, the Colorado Rockies were at right at or just slightly below 500 against every team in baseball that does not reside in the National League West. They have just been getting crushed by their own division, which is nothing new. Um, the saving grace for them this year is there's fewer division games than there are have been in other years. But nonetheless, it's a nightmare playing in this division for the Rockies. And, and it's probably only going to get worse because there are some really good baseball teams not named Los Angeles Dodgers playing in the NL West. We're fortunate this week to be joined by the great Barry Bloom. He's covered the NL West for a long, long time. Barry, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. And let, let's plug Sportico, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've been around the National League West. You've watched all these teams play. Is this the I mean. Maybe we're jaded, but is this the best division in baseball? 
I don't know if it's the best division in baseball, but I, I think it's kind of a cockeyed division this year because the teams that have spent the most money on payroll are not the teams that are dominating the division this year. I mean, you have, uh, you know, you look at it, the Diamondbacks are fifth in the league with about $120 million payroll. They're well, even well below the Rockies at this point. Uh, you know, they have 41 wins already, which is far above where they've been the last two years. I think it was like 52 and 74 or something. So yeah. nobody picked them to, to do what they're doing. And, you know, the Dodgers and Padres have had severe problems. Uh, and the Rockies are are the Rockies, you know, what I want me to tell you. So, yeah, I think it's kind of a cockeyed division this year and obviously very competitive. Barry, thank you for uh, joining us again. Um, the, I think you said it best with the Rockies. The Rockies are the Rockies. Um, couldn't say it any better. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, if you had to put it in, I don't think you can make it, uh, put it in a more concise fashion. But what have the, in particular, because I think that, you know, I, I was talking to AJ Casavell the other day and, and we talked about the Padres. They're, you know, nobody's running away with this division. The D-backs are the surprise. The Dodgers are kind of... Um, They've been lackluster, for for lack of a better word. They've had a lot of pitching injury, uh, starting rotation injuries, obviously, but nobody's exactly running away with it. The Padres still feel like I'm sure that they they can still make a run at this thing. The Dodgers are right there, but the D-backs being the surprise and being kind of where the rock, you know, the Rockies and D-backs were alternating fourth and fifth place for you know every year since 2018 uh, or 2019, and suddenly the D-backs have have you know taken this quantum leap. It seems like, but you know better than that. And and if you could tell us what is it that they're doing right that has gotten them to this place in their development with their young players that has now so far outstripped the Rockies in that department. Off the radar that, that really needed to be mentioned here with the Diamondbacks, I just had a, a part of it long off the record talk with manager Tari Lovello in the dugout the other day. And this came up. I mean, first of all, they got hit very hard financially by the pandemic. There wasn't really much that they could do about it. Their attendance has been down severely. They lost hundreds of millions of dollars. They're not a franchise that can weather that kind of losses. Uh, you know, their ownership is certainly well-heeled, but it's not as well-heeled as the big boys in the division where you have, you know, the, 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 the Padres investing a ton of money because – their owners, Seidler, the Seidlers are worth over $3 billion. They've got a, a Mexican minority partner who's worth close to $2 billion. And now they've run up against a wall because they've lost all their television money for the, for, for the remainder of their contract. And now they have to pay a lot of their long-term contracts that they had stacked up against that television money. But, it, it, but for the Diamondbacks, that was one of the issues. The other issue was that you know, Mike Hazen, the general manager, he went through a very serious family situation with his wife, Nicole, who she was diagnosed a couple of years ago with a, with a brain cancer called glioblastoma. And, and, and Hazen took a leave of absence. It, it, it left them scurrying around without leadership. It's like uh, Tori said, he, it's like he lost his brother and the whole guidance system for the team and the organization. You know, I put a lot, a lot of the what happened in 2020 and 21, coming off the pandemic, as as part of that, that they they didn't have. Mike had to focus on his family, 
uh, Nicole passed away last year and last summer. And, uh, you know, Mike came back full time. Uh, you know, I, I actually said, don't be too hard on yourself about this. I, you know, I know what you've gone through. He said, there's no excuses, Barry, you know, and basically he just went back to work. And so, yeah, they've developed some good talent in the farm system. They've made a couple of decent trades. I mean, Zach Gallen was a trade with the Marlins at the trade deadline a couple of years ago. And he's turned out to be one of the best young pitchers in the National League. And they're just trying to keep him healthy at this point. And the, uh, you know, the, the trade uh, over the winter, you know, for, uh, you know, Lourdes and, uh, you know, Marino, the catcher for Varsho has turned out to be a tremendous trade right now. And he's had some stinkers. The Goldschmidt trade might have been one of the worst in history. And, uh, you know, they, but he started with Ketel Marte, who was a throw in along with Taiwan Walker uh, in his first trade. Uh, and Marte has turned out to be the mainstay of the team. You know how these things happen. All of a sudden, everybody gets playing. You bring up a couple of young players. You know, Corbin Carroll, when they brought him up last year, nobody thought he was going to be this good this quickly. But, you know, he's one of the fastest players I've seen since Deion Sanders, who I think may be the fastest. You know, and then, you know, you're talking about mind's eye at this point and how long, how far or how fast a guy can run, you know, a 50-yard dash. But, you know, the, he, he uh, is such a good defensive player. He covers so much ground in the outfield. You know, he goes from first to third uh, on on a base hit to left field. And if he's on first base, you know, you're almost figuring that he's going to score some way or another. And that's a huge impact offensively for the team. And this is with them juggling, you know, a rotation that is pretty short on the back end. And, uh, you know, they had the Bumgarner situation where he had a 10-plus ERA after four starts and they couldn't get to him for whatever reason to make adjustments so he could continue pitching in the major leagues. And, uh, you know, they had to cut him loose in his $18 million salary. So, you know, they're doing this, like I said, you know, with the, the lowest salary in the division and a, a lot of good players and parts and even a bullpen that doesn't really have a closer that they're just piecing together. Barry, one, what did you just mention, though, um, as, as horrific as those circumstances are, and they obviously you don't wish that on anybody, it's, it's awful, but – it did force the Diamondbacks to get out of their comfort zone a little bit. Do some, try something different. Be, be innovative in some, in some ways. That to me is the biggest thing. I talk about this almost every week. This, they're just stuck in this rut, this, this pattern that they will not change, won't change, no matter what. You mentioned some big trades, some, some that work and some that don't work. The Rockies are just hesitant to do any of that. They're hesitant to do anything outside of their box, not the box, their box, because their box is different than everybody else's box. It does it. God forbid, does it take something dramatic like that? Does it take something like that to shake them up a little bit and say, okay, get out of this mindset and try something different? Well, it, look, it starts with, you know, the, the, I think the Arenado situation. I mean, you end up signing this guy to a long-term deal. You put an out in the contract. Then you start battling with him. He, he's one of the top third basemen in the National League. And then when you, when you, go, you, you don't want to pay him, but you wind up paying money to Chris Bryant, Who's has, who, who hasn't done much for the team. Look, he didn't do much for the Giants, and the Cubs got rid of him, weren't going to re-sign him as a free agent. And the, the Giants didn't want him back and didn't even look at him as a free agent because he just did what he could do, and it wasn't much during that run they had 
two years ago against the Dodgers to win the division. And uh, really, Bryant wasn't a factor in the second half of the season. So when you have guys who are making those kind of decisions, and, you know, and I will say, you know, you go from one general manager to another, you know, the Diamondbacks went through that situation where you went from Josh Burns to Kevin Towers to Tony LaRusso and Dave Stewart didn't have to Mike Hazen in a very short period of time. And then managerial wise, you went from, you know, Bob Melvin to AJ Hinch to Kirk Gibson to, uh, you know, all the way along here to Lavello. And now suddenly kind of like Bud, you know, Lavello is the most long-term tenured manager. He's in his seventh season. And Ken Kendrick, the owner, just stepped away and let let the baseball operations operate. Uh, you know, I think I think a- one thing that's that's interesting about the the with the Rockies now, well, a couple of points. One, you know, they don't. Corbin Carroll is the the poster boy for what the Rockies wish they had and don't yeah. have. It's yeah. it's a they, their their development situation is here's some guys with some potential, and we hope some of them work out. Whereas the the D backs have found their guy. And obviously they've, they've given him an extension. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you, Barry, about your thoughts about whether he can really sustain this to, to, to maybe make a run at MVP and, and rookie of the year, because only two guys in, in, in baseball history have done that. As far as I know, I think the friend Lynn and uh, each were the only guys. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, so I don't think there's been anybody in the national league. So, but Corbin Carroll's the guy that the Rockies wish they had and don't have, which is someone to build around. He's the core guy. He's the guy that we know is going to be there. And we know he's going to be, if he's healthy, he's going to produce. They're hoping for guys to develop. Tovar, Nolan Jones has just freakish tools, but we don't know if he's going to be able to to to, to perform on a consistent basis. And basically, that's the, the question with everybody on, on among these uh, among this generation of new prospects that are coming up with the Rockies is can they consistently do this? Can they consistently perform? Will they make it? Whereas the D-backs have that. And secondly... It seems like the Rockies may have gone into a turning point when Charlie Blackman got hurt. Because when Blackman got hurt, now you have Brian on the IL, you have Blackman on the IL, you have Crone on the IL. Buddy and and everyone, ha- they're forced to play these kids now. And it's like, okay, now they, they, maybe they're being accelerated in their process of trying to find out what the future is. Because I think one of the big gripes that people have around here, that at least Rockies fans have, right or wrong, and some of it's you know right and some of it's wrong, is that the Rockies continue to play veterans too long and not let guys have a chance to really start to to show what they've gotten developed. Uh, but now they're forced to. So we might be actually seeing something a little bit accelerated in terms of their in terms of their youth movement. Now let me go back to Carroll. Do you think Carroll can keep doing what he's doing? Because what he's doing is absolutely remarkable. I mean, he's leading, I think he's leading the NL in in war, Fangraph's war right now. He's a he's a great all-around player. And in the National League, we know that it's not like the American League where you got Judge and Otani, where those guys are going to be at the, at, the, at the forefront of the MVP race every year. It's like it's kind of wide open, it seems like, in the end. Now, what do you think, Barry? Well, it's, it's a lot to unpack there, Manny. Sure. But go back to, uh, to Arenado. Mm-hmm. When you sign a guy who's a franchise player for, what was it, 10 years? And then that yep. relationship sours in the middle of the contract, and then you have to dump him. You know, it was a little different when the Diamondbacks had to come to the decision of what they were going to do with Goldschmidt. He had a year to go on his contract. He wasn't signed, and they just made a determination. I think it was the wrong one at the time 
that they didn't want to sign him for the amount of money he wanted, which is peanuts in comparison to what you know he what what he would be worth in the open market now. But they did. They traded him. They didn't have him under contract. They bit the bullet and they figured with the guys we get and the young people we have, we're going to make we're going to develop. Now, for it back in your case, I think the difference in the managers are. I love Buddy. You know, I've known him since he was a player. I think you know two things he has going against him. One is he's a pitcher, and pitcher pitching pitching pitchers historically do not make good managers. That's number one. They don't know how to run offense, and they don't see the game from any other perspective than what goes on on the mound. Number two, he has a penchant for playing veteran players. You know, Bochy was very much the same way, you know, and one of the reasons why they wanted to get rid of him for Buddy in San Diego at the time was uh, they were tired of getting Bochy younger players or, or trying to get them to, to, uh, to play guys coming up through the system. And he would just rely on whatever veteran players to his own detriment. So they decided to move on. Mm-hmm. In Tori Lovello, you allow, he's a, you know, he has a, a bent for younger players. He's a teaching kind of manager with a great attitude. And he is more of like the newer kind of manager that works well with the analytics department, works well, was handpicked by Hazen when they both came over from Boston. They have a simpatico, which really works well together. And so when you get a guy from like Corbin Carroll coming up from the minor league system, you know, like they did last year, they played him and let him start to develop just to see what he was going to do. Now, the question, and you you never know because of injuries, because of adjustments being made by other teams in the league to a player when they start picking apart their their weaknesses. And then the, the player and the Diamondbacks have to adjust back. And I think they're very they're very good at this. They're very good analytically at picking everything apart, you know, hitting wise and you know, pitching wise. I just wrote a story today about how they have an analytic program where they feed in all the, you know, amount of pitches either on the sideline or in bullpens or in games, and the workload that pitchers undergo goes into a computer, the medical staff looks at it, and they tell the uh the staff whether or not they can use a pitcher and how much they can use a pitcher, be it a reliever or a starter. And consequently, under the old regimes, there was like nine Tommy John surgeries from like 2014 to 2018. Or, and then under, the, under these guys, there's the last one was Taiwan Walker in 2018. That's incredible. At so a Tommy John surgery. You know, I just think there is a holistic approach to this whole thing. You know, I, I was never, as you know, we are. We used to laugh about it when we were both together at MLB.com, and I was very much a traditionalist and and kind of anti-analytic. But and there's still some things like I do think the wind is still important for a pitcher. But, thank you, know, you, Barry. Let's not. <laughs> thank you, Barry. Barry, we will bring you thank back you. for our for for the for the knockdown drag out fight that we one day will have on this podcast between and me and Mark keep, on. We keep on promising that and it never happens. It will happen. That well, we're just we're just gaining more hype for it. You right, cannot win saying, this argument, Manny. You can't win it. You what can't. I'm saying is, I've come over a long way towards you know that 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 approach to baseball because if you have the information. There's so many variables in baseball of what of how you can put things together to win. You should use all of it. Yeah. You should use the eye test. You should use scouts. You should use the computer. 
you, you know, just put it all in a basket and you have to have the manager there who's adept at mixing it all. And yeah. I think going back to Carroll, that's exactly what they did with Carroll. You know, nobody knew when he came up from the minor leagues this last year at the you know at the end of the season how good he was going to be, and they put him in the lineup and let him develop. And then by the time he got the spring training this year, then they signed him to an eight-year, 111, put that kind of confidence in him as a rookie and said, you don't have to worry about your future here. You're paid. If you get hurt, you're fine. We've already invested in you. And that kind of stuff is really important for everybody to be on the same page. And when you have a talent, I mean, what was the yogi? 80% baseball's 80% mental. You know, fifty percent of this game is ninety percent mental now. Exactly, the rest of it, you know, it—that's what it is. I mean, you have talent, and then you have, you know, where what's going on in people's heads. And it seems like Corbin's free to play, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Free to to play, you know. I don't think they put any restrictions on him stealing bases. They certainly tell Mm -hmm. him, like I said, going in, you know. if, it, if there's a base hit somewhere, he's going to go to third base. I mean, I've seen him score from first base on a single array. So, I mean, yeah. to have that kind of freedom to do those things and not put any restrictions on him, and you know for sure, and I'm not saying Buddy would do this, but there are managers who would tell him, you're not going to do this. I don't want you to run unless I tell you to run. I mean, Billy Martin, when Ricky Henderson stole all those bases to set the record, break Brock's record, he had a red light on Ricky Henderson every day. And he would tell That's Henderson amazing. to run. <laughs> he still stole 130-some-odd bases. So, you know, it's like, but the, the, the Diamondbacks are not like that. They play within their scheme. And, you know, they've tried it with McCarthy, tried it with him. They've, they've, they've got guys in the minors who they've brought up and it's like okay, go go to town. But when you're hitting below a below two hundred for a protracted period of time, you're not going to stay in the major leagues. They're going to bring up other people and see what they're going to do. You know, they've got a nice, healthy mix. You know, of younger veterans now with Guriel. I mean, Walker. I was very, you know, uh, I, I, I'm very very concerned about him replacing Goldschmidt. And at this point. If Goldschmidt were available in a trade, there's no way I would replace Walker with Goldschmidt. He's a much better defensive player, and he's contributed mightily for them with you know with 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 whatever power they have in the lineup. You know they've let him develop too. You know some of it, like you said, is out of necessity because they were bad. So it's just you might as well try people and let them develop and play. But uh, you know, yeah, I think that's where where it is with uh, with Carroll at this point. And you, you know, just you, get into fights with people that you just, here's $200 million. Now I'm going to get into a fight with you. What was, that tells you everything you want to know about the Rockies organization. You've, you've certainly given Rockies fans a lot of reason for encouragement. Talking about the Diamondbacks' future looks really good. And obviously the Giants, Padres, and Dodgers aren't going anywhere. We've said this before. Manny and I said this a year ago. We did a show a year ago. Rockies' biggest chance at success is realignment. <laughs> is, you know, the A's do move to Las Vegas. There is a reshuffling of the leagues. There are two new teams added, and there are new divisions made. And uh, Because I just, I'm sitting here trying to convince myself that in some way, shape, or form, someday they can win the National League West, and I don't see it happening in my lifetime. Well, again, then you add, you know, the ballpark and the altitude and yeah. what that does to a pitching staff and how, you know, you figured 
you know, with, with Buddy is great with pitchers. You figure what he was going to do, and one of the reasons why they got him was let's instill a pitching staff. Oh, here. It worked initially. Initially, it worked. It really did. But it wasn't sustainable. Yeah, well, it wasn't sustainable in my opinion because they didn't have a, a wave of pitchers continuing coming up through the organization. They just threw all, all their all their eggs in the Senzatella, Marcus Freeland. I mean, that was going to be it. John Gray, and then they start losing those guys through injury or trade or free agency or whatever. There was no replacements ready. Well, it's interesting uh, Buddy because could manage, we had, Buddy could manage any talented pitchers. We had no we had we had Bob Gebhardt here over the weekend because of the you know thirtieth anniversary of the Rockies. They're having guys come back through here, um, you know, each weekend. Uh, home weekend and uh you know we were talking because because the we the writers we were talking upstairs and then we asked bob like maybe the only way to re- maybe the only way to really go after this thing and, and really attack this problem of altitude and and pitchers not you know not being able to sustain you know, maybe it's just impossible to sustain uh really good pitching here for a long time and if that's the case and you know you're going to lose 40 games on the road minimum every year because of the sea level issue and the breaking ball starting to break again. You go back through all of Rocky's history. And we've talked about this too, Mark. We go back through all of the 31 seasons. No, you know, it's not personnel because no Rockies team hit well on the road. It doesn't matter. You had the Blake Street Bombers, you had Helton, you had Holiday, you had. Uh, they just won a series in Boston. They just won a series in Kansas City. They just, they've done at least as well on the well, road. It's well, well no, but I mean, you look at the, you look at the overall term, picture. Yeah. They've never, they've never won more than. 42 games in a year. And I think they've done that three times on the road. Mm-hmm. So chalk up 40 losses. Maybe this is the way to go. Chalk up 40 losses, bludgeon them to death at Coors Field, win 55 games every year at Coors Field, figure out how to do that and outslug those teams. Go back to the bombers kind of thing and get, get pitchers in the mold of Kyle Freeland who don't care about their ERA, who just somehow, some way gut it out every time they go out there. Kyle Freeland, you know, it's tough to find guys like that because the Freeland Freeland obviously is a Denver guy. He's pitched here his whole life. He's not afraid of it. But maybe those are the that's the type of makeup you need to have. You need to have a guy who is just going to grind it out every time. And as long as I give a fewer runs than the other guy, or I kept my team in it, and we've got we've got guys who can slug, we're going to win enough at home. So I wonder what you think about that, Barry. You've been along the, uh, around this game a long time. You've been you you've you've uh, outlived the Rockies in terms of uh, your, your time in the game so far. They're, they're 30 years in. You've been in there for longer than that. What do you think about that approach? And we've talked to former Rockies about that from that era, from the 90s. And they said, you know what? Get some guys who can outslug the other team. And that's really what you need to build around. Yeah, and if you place get, your home field advantage. You get Salt Lake City in your division. And you get realignment. <clears throat> and you got some more options to win there, too. Win some road games in Salt Lake yeah. City, right? There you go. Really uh, projecting here. I, I, look, you can also use the Tampa Bay approach where you just draft good young pitchers and, you know, you use them up in the major leagues for five or six years. And when they're, you know, reaching their their peak or about to go to free agency and you decide you're not going to sign them. You have someone to replace them. Absolutely. Somebody to replace them. And then you, and that would require a radical shift in, in in how the Rockies do business. But yeah. yeah. But if if you want to sustain a pitching staff, at, at at a certain level, that's what you have to do. And you can't keep throwing money at things when the money doesn't really mean anything. Because if you look at what's going on in baseball right now, you know all the top money teams. The you know you start with the Mets at three hundred fifty million dollars, and then the, the Padres, and the, Yankees, yep. the Padres, the Dodgers are, are number five. You remember to the yep. Dodgers, you know, just sidebarring here a little bit. 
what the Dodgers did this year was they let hundred million dollars worth of players go. They didn't replace. They did much what the Yankees decided, and they said we're not going out and spending this kind of money. Oh, I mean, you got to save up for to. Shohei, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that well, too. Yeah, well, they I, don't need to because they do have those replacements you're talking about, Barry. They have a this fantastic well, farm system. Just keeps well, turning guys they've, out. they've used that up too, and a lot of the guys, except for this guy Outman who came up this year and has played pretty well, they've gone through those guys, and they're now playing all over all over the league. Now, I just saw the Red Sox in two series. And five Dodgers, former Dodgers, are playing for the Red Sox. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I was laughing about it. And it's like the uh, I said to to Tori, you know, how does it look to see all those Red Sox over there? And he goes, Yeah, there's one guy I, I that was on the Red Sox. I wish it was still there. I'm talking about bets, but you know, it's like, yeah. you know, the Dodgers have that kind of talent, but you can't weather in one season that kind of uh, you know down downturn. When you let everybody go, and now your third baseman is Mac, Max Muncy, you're using Betts at short. You don't have a second baseman. Freddie Freeman and Betts are the two best players on their team. And as you said, in contrast to the pot, that what the Diamondbacks have done health-wise with their pitchers, yeah. it's like every one of their pitchers goes down with an injury sooner or later. You have Bueller going through his second time. Second one, yeah. You know, and you have – you know, May right now, they're hoping that his elbow injury isn't going to lead to a second one, too. So, I mean, this is this is plaguing the Dodgers. And, and Kershaw is broken down as he, he is with all the injuries he's had is their mainstay. So they're beatable this year. But the, the division is wide open for anybody to win this year. And this is anybody. Yeah. Not that, anybody. Yeah. There's well, four teams that could win it. but not. Yeah, it would have been a good year for the Rockies to be able to put something together. And they have. I mean, you know, the Marlins won two World Series. They've never won an at least title either. I think the I think the main thing that the that that probably Rockies fans are kind of happy about. They're not happy about guys getting hurt, but they're happy that that the silver lining to that is that young guys get to play, and that the and that I think they're just tired of seeing you know the Look, CJ man. Crones and the Mike Mustakis's and the. Let me ask you. you know, question. Let me throw this yeah. you if you're there. I mean, it isn't part of the problem that Coors is a great ballpark to go to games. People come to the games. They're going to draw whether they're good or bad or indifferent. This yep. isn't. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you're going to have people in the ballpark spending yep. money no matter what. It's not like the fan base in Colorado is saying, well, we're not going to the games. Nope, because nope. You know, Started out maybe maybe April it looked that way a little bit, Manny, but I, I think he's well. Right. I, yeah, I think I think out. philosophically, it's it's always been we're not going to compete with the big boys, which is kind of you know weird because yeah. when they throw money around, they throw it around big and they spend it. You know, they've what what's proven to be poorly with guys like Ian Desmond for seventy million and now Chris Bryant, who boy, what that's signing one hundred eighty two million dollars and he played forty six games last year, fifty this year. He's on the IL again. Uh, he can't hit for power anymore. No. It's if you're going to spend money, you got to spend it wisely. If you're not competing with the big boys in that department, but the Rockies, you know, they're they're middle of the pack or a little bit above in their payroll. So, you know that that really doesn't fly. And the whole idea that they are going to compete um, and get to the postseason maybe once every few years and then take their shot, that doesn't work anymore. In the especially now in the in the current system, which is three wild cards in each league more chances than ever before to get bounced in the postseason. So even if you make it, 
you need to be there every year to get a chance to win it all at some point because got you know teams are going to get bounced early early in early rounds this is not the 19 you know this is not the pre-divisional era where you win mm-hmm. your league and you go and, and you play in one series postseason series and like you, you said man you can you can be close to 500 just maybe a little bit above 500 you're in the playoff pitch yeah, but you got it. But you also got to make sure you're you're there every year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because okay. the Rockies, I think their mo has been uh, over their history. Every five or six years, we'll sneak into the postseason, yeah. and that's not that's not sustainable. You can't you can't win a World Series that way. The only time they've ever been close is 07, Obviously, when they when they went on a run that you could probably not duplicate in nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand. Now, winning those twenty one out of twenty two, you know, to to finish the season. Uh, that's just not sustainable. So the Rockies have to, I think there's going to be need to be a real big philosophical shift if they're going to compete in the, in the current playoff structure as it is. But the D backs, I think are, what we're seeing is a lot of good things, almost like, you know what, if you, if you've got a situation where you got guys not going down to injury, uh, p- pitchers not going down to injury because of what you talked about, Barry, and you've got young players that are exciting and doing what they're doing. Um, there seems like they're playing with house money right now. Um, does that, is that the feeling there in Arizona? And do you think they can pull this thing off? You know, I think that right now it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, let's see where this goes. We're, you know, we're, we're getting closer to the halfway mark of the season. You know, they swept, you talk about the Rockies on the road. They swept the Rockies here in four games a couple of weeks ago. Now they just lost three out of four to the, to the Phillies. You know, one blowout, a couple of two-run games, one-run games, I should say. You know, they've got a tougher schedule coming up. Unlike the Rockies, where if you play mediocre to bad baseball, you're still going to be grossing a lot of money and drawing people to a great ballpark. It's not a destination ballpark here. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do with that for the long term. They've got a lease that expires in 2027. They've got to decide whether they're going to retrofit this ballpark or build somewhere else downtown and how they're going to get the money and where it's all going to come from. Mm. And their attendance stinks. They draw, you know, 19,000 people a game. Or I think there are about 20 right now. You know, sometimes on the weekends, if you get a good draw, they draw, you know, they, they, they have, you know, a good series like Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, draw almost a hundred thousand for a three game series, but by and large Boston the week before or two weeks before, Drew about seventy five, and then in the middle of the week, that Colorado series, they were drawing ten thousand people. You might as well have had those games at Salt River Field, then you would have had a sellout. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't. People don't. It's not a destination place. It's too hot during the summer. People leave here. They go to San Diego. They go elsewhere. They go to Flagstaff to get out of the heat. It's not the same thing as the as, as the Rocky. So you have a totally different set of problems here of what to deal with that sometimes don't really translate. And even back before the pandemic, they draw 2.2 million people. If they had a bad season, they draw 1.8. They yeah. never could crack it, you know, since the first years of the franchise. And after the first couple of years, you know, when they figured that if we don't win the World Series here, we're going to be in big trouble. And so they put all their money into that team that went to the 2001 World Series and basically eked it out against the Yankees. And so, you know, the, they haven't drawn here since then. If you go over to slide over to San Diego, they're maxing out revenue, even though they're disappointing right now. They've maxed out their res- revenue right now at Petco Park. They're drawing close to 40,000, which means there's not much more room for them to go. 
you can only raise ticket prices and concession prices to generate more money. And you don't want to alienate the fans that you've already, you know, brought back into the fold. But that's also a destination ballpark. Right here, you need a, a destination ballpark. And the Rockies have that park. And whether they win or lose, I think they're financially always going to be fine. Well, can and you imagine what we what it would be if you put those two teams together and made them one team? Yeah. <laughs> the Rockies and the D-backs, boy, that would be that would be a hit success. Play, play your it? spring games in Arizona and bring your summer games to Coors Field. Hey, Barry, we really appreciate you joining us. Sportico is where people can find you. Forbes magazine as well. Bloomberg, all over the place. I know uh, in San Diego for a long time. You know the National League West as well as anybody. I want to ask you one quick question. We have got two minutes left. I want to ask you one quick question. And I was I was not being facetious about the realignment. It's it's got to happen, doesn't it? Isn't there going to be some realignment in Major League Baseball pretty soon? You know, people talk about that. Uh, you know, you go back to what killed Fay Vincent's uh, commissionership back in the early nineteen. You know, in the last decade of the of the nineteen nineties. I mean, basically, he tried to force a realignment, moving Chicago and St. Louis mm-hmm. out of the out of the NL East into the West when there were four divisions at the time. Uh, there was a revolt among the owners. They, uh, you know, they, they said no, and they basically ultimately ousted him as commissioner. I think, you know, Rob Manfred could say whatever he wants with what could be good for baseball and better for baseball in terms of realignment, but you have rivalries in those divisions that have been built over the course of the years, the Yankees and Red Sox, you know, the Mets and the Braves, they're not the Cardinals and the Cubs. They're just not realigning out of their division. The no. only realignment we've had was, you know, when Bud said, okay, you I'm going to front of this and we're going to move Milwaukee to the national league and nobody else came with them. No. And then as the stipulation for Crane buying the Astros, they wound up stipulating that he had to move to the American League or he wasn't going to get the franchise. And believe me, Crane did not want to do this. But as I told him last year during the World Series, it was the best thing that ever happened to the Astros because because of the Dodgers and Guggenheim, they never would have dominated the National League the way they've dominated the American League over the last six or seven years. So, I mean, things happen sometimes for a reason. But I don't think you're going to have wholesale alignment in Major League Baseball. Right, Barry, we, we appreciate your time, Barry, as always. We'll continue to read you. And thank you very much for joining us. Manny, you Thanks, got a Barry. closer? You're closer? the best. Manny, yeah, you got a closer? Up. All coming right, up. here we go. Stay with us. We're back with Bruce Hellerstein, the owner of the National Ballpark Museum across from Coors Field. Bruce, a lot of baseball fans probably haven't been there. Tell them what they're missing. Well, Mark, uh, we're the only museum that is totally dedicated to the old classic ballparks as well as the history of uh, baseball here in Denver and Colorado. We pride ourselves on being the home of those activities so people can uh, appreciate them. And with respect to the old ballparks, uh, I look at it, not only are they classic and built in location, they are American treasures. How can one think of America without mentioning the Fenways and the Wrigley's, for example? Tell them what they got to do to come see you. Well, we're open regular hours from 11 to 5 daily, with the exception of Sunday. And when we have Rocky home games, we will expand those hours as uh, needed. You got to come see it, Bruce. It's a wonderful place. The National Ballpark Museum on Blake Street, just across from Coors Field. Bruce, thanks. My pleasure, Mark. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. 
Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets on their first NBA championship. It was 47 years in the making and brought immense joy to the Rocky Mountain region. It also means there is one major professional sports franchise in Denver that remains without a championship, the Colorado Rockies. To be fair, the Rockies perhaps face the most uphill climb in winning a championship given the daunting challenge of winning at altitude. The course hangover effect is real for hitters and we all know how pitching has gone in the thin air of the Mile High City over the past three decades. But that's no reason not to try and win a World Series ring. So, what will it take? We've spoken many times on this show about what might be the best philosophy when it comes to winning here. If you've listened for any real length of time, you know my stance. Go back to the Blake Street Bombers and crush opponents at home before taking your L's on the road in what you know will be at least half of your games away from Coors Field. As we discussed on today's podcast with longtime baseball writer Barry Bloom, the NL West is only getting tougher thanks to a surprising surge to the top by the division of the division by the D-backs, who have a young and exciting core led by Corbin Carroll. But if nothing else, at least the Rockies are now getting a real look at what the future may hold for them, albeit out of necessity due to injuries to so many veteran everyday players. What will it all look like a couple of years from now? Only time will tell. But when the kids are playing, there's something to dream on if you're a Rockies fan. I thought I'd take a strong poll on what you all think when it comes to when the Rockies will finally win their first World Series title. And the results were interesting. About 6% of you said it would happen before 2030. About 26% of you said it would be between 21, or 2031 and 2040. About 20% of you said 2041 to 50. And nearly half of you, about 48%, said it would be 2051 or later. One thing is for certain. Whatever GM brings the Rockies a championship should prompt construction of an entire wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame to begin immediately upon the final out. And somewhere in the middle of it, there should be framed a document known as the Blueprint, detailing just how the team that many thought could never win it all did just that. Manny just refuses to tire out and closes out yet another episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to Barry Bloom from Sportico and Forbes Magazine for his insight. And as always, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.